going to tell you, we need to, um, we need to focus on being right, not relative. Far more important to just be right in the sight of God. Because God's the one who opens the hearts of men. God's the one who draws men to Him. And if we think we can deviate from what He's given us to win people to Him, we're not thinking very clearly. He wants them to come to Him more than we ever could. And so when He laid out a pattern, He did it so we would know what it takes to get men to Him. That's why this book is so important. That's why we cannot abandon the Scriptures. We can't just follow what we feel. We've got to go by what thus saith the Word of God. Well, praise God. All right. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, says, I beseech you, I beseech you. This word beseech means I beg. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'm begging you by God's mercy to present your body a living sacrifice. To make it holy and make it acceptable unto God. Now this is your body. A lot of folks want to just focus on, well just keep your spirit right, keep your spirit right. Paul says it's just our reasonable service for our bodies to be holy. Verse 2, and be not conformed. Everyone say conformed. Be not conformed to this world. But be ye what? Transformed. If you notice difference here. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so taking my title tonight from verse 2, the apostle says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. We're just going to call this lesson transformed, not conformed. Transformed, not conformed. Would you put your Bibles down and pray? And once again, I need God's touch. I need His strength tonight. My voice is a little better, it's not what it needs to be, but I still am needing God's touch in my body, and I know that God is able to take care of it. Let's pray together right now, everybody. Let's ask God to speak to our hearts.
this morning. Would you praise him one more time before you're seated tonight? Just praise the Lord for just a moment. Oh, let's give him some worship. Let's give him some worship here tonight. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I would ask tonight once again, I would ask that you would help me tonight. I'm calling especially on our youth group. Step up to the plate for your pastor tonight and, and help me here. Don't respond based upon delivery tonight. Respond based upon the truth of what I say. I may not feel as strong, uh, strong enough to deliver everything exactly the way that I feel it on my heart tonight, so I need you to read between the lines and just get in there and worship as though I'm red in the face and screaming my head off tonight. <laughs> I just need some help. I need some help. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, um, prior to our text, had described a battle that is raging between the flesh and the spirit. He did this in Romans chapter 7. This is a bit of a lengthy reading, so I would encourage you to get your Bibles and open them to Romans. We're going to be reading several verses from the book of Romans tonight. Romans chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 15 through 25. And I read this because the Apostle Paul is giving a very clear explanation of what happens in this war between the flesh and the spirit. And every one of us have this battle to fight. Every one of us. Every one of us, even those who didn't say amen, you have the battle too. We all do. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 25. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, and that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, now don't, get, don't get lost in all of this. Understand, Paul is saying this is the perspective of humanity. This is the way it goes for humanity. He said the things that I, I do are the things I regret doing. I find myself doing things that I even hate. And I think, why in the world did I do that? He said, and when I do it, understand this. It's not really me that's doing it. It's the sin that's in me that's causing me to do it. All right, read. For I know that in me, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There is no good thing in my flesh. My flesh is just as corrupt as anybody else's flesh. That's why sometimes when I've tried to set guidelines down, I've had people say to me, "Well, you don't trust me." Well, the short answer is, you're right. I don't trust any flesh. I don't trust my own flesh. That's why there are guidelines. That's why there are rules, because I don't trust the flesh. And we don't want to live by a list of do's and don'ts, but sometimes it's the do's and don'ts that keep us in check. All right, read on. For to will is present with me. To will is present with me. I want to do what's right. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. But many times, I know what I want to do. I know what I need to do. But figuring out how to get that done is another thing altogether. 
For the good that I would do not, hold on, for the good that I would do, would I do not, sorry, but the evil which I would, do, would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And so he reiterates this same point again. If I end up doing things I shouldn't do, it's because there's sin in me causing me to do this. It's time for a soul searching. All right, read. I find then a law. So I find this law. That when I would do good. When I would do good. Evil is present with me. There's something that's fighting against my desire to do what's right. That's a law, he said. That's a law. That's not just a principle. That's not just a concept. Paul said that's a law. Anytime you try to do good, you will be confronted with evil. That's a law. Sometimes it's external, sometimes it's internal. But you will be confronted with evil. Anytime you try to do what's right. That's why I've seen many people get discouraged. They start out in a walk with God and they, they, they start having all kinds of problems. Well, I, I, you know, I heard somebody actually say one time, I had it better before I came to Christ. No, you didn't. You may not have fought the same battle. The fact is, you probably didn't fight the battles at all. You just gave in. But you were not better off. You were floating downstream. Headed for certain destruction. Now, it may take a lot more effort to swim against the current. But the destination is much better. But there's this law, he said, this law that I've found. That every time I start out to do good, there is this barrage of evil that just comes against me. Does anybody take comfort in the fact that Paul, the great apostle, is saying this? <laughs> uh, you know, because, listen, the devil will convince you you're the only person. You're the only one that's having this struggle. You're the only one that it's this hard for you to live for God. I had a backslider tell me years ago, he knew me as a boy, watched me growing up, and, and, and I, I went to try to talk to, him, talk to him about getting back in church. And He said, well, I'm just going to tell you, it's just always been easier for you to pray than it, than it has been for me. Oh, no, it hasn't. It's not any easier. I just made up my mind I'm going to do it no matter how difficult it is. But I have to fight the same flesh everybody else has to fight. And there are plenty of days that I get up and my flesh just doesn't feel like it. And I got to fight that. All right, read on. I'll never get through this if we don't. This is a lengthy reading as it is, but there's so much in this passage. And, and yet, when you read it in the King James, it can be very confusing. So I want to make sure you understand what Paul's saying here. All right, read on. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members. So he said there is the law of God and the inward man, that man that's, that's been born again, he delights in God's law. He delights in God's law. But there is another law that's also in me. Warring against the law of my mind. It's warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into and captivity. And bringing me into captivity. To the law of to sin. To the law of sin. Which is in my members. Now, let me, let me just try to break this down as simply as I can. And we're not finished with this yet, but, but this whole thing about the law of sin. I want you to think of this. Just like you think of the law of gravity. The law of gravity affects every one of us. 
There's no getting around it. It's universal. Any one of us, if we step off the platform and don't realize there's not a step below us, we're going to fall. Even the best of us. Even the most spiritual of us. Because the law of gravity affects everybody. And let me tell you, the Apostle Paul said there is also a law of sin. And this is the way the law of sin works. It's constantly trying to pull us down just like gravity is. Now, I said that the law of gravity is universal, and it is. It cannot be reversed, but it can be overcome. Right? Just a few days, I'm going to board a plane. And, and that plane is not defying the law of gravity. It's just built in a way that it overcomes the law of gravity. But I can promise you the moment that pilot turns the engine off, once that huge machine is no longer functioning the way it was built to, it's coming down. It doesn't matter that it's got enough fuel in the tank to get me there. It's got to be doing something that propels it against the law of gravity to overcome it. And this is what I'm saying to you. You never escape the law of sin. It's ever present with you. But thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the engine that keeps us from falling. As long as the Holy Ghost is allowed to operate in our lives, we can overcome the law of sin. But the moment we shut that engine off, we're going down. Even a bird, a bird does not defy the law of gravity. It overcomes it. It flaps its wings. And, and I know that they can spread their wings and glide for a while. But at some point, if, if they just fold their wings, they're coming down. Because gravity, gravity is still with them. And the law of sin, you know, until you reach a certain point outside this atmosphere, gravity's working on you. But there are those that have gone beyond the pull of gravity. And one day, we're going to do that too. Someday, he's going to call us out of here. And we're going to go to live in a place where the law of sin no longer exists. It can't pull us down anymore. It can't cause us to backslide anymore. It can't cause us to fail anymore. It's not there. But for now, every person alive is subject to this law. You just have to learn how to overcome it. We're not finished with this passage. So, so read, read that. Uh, in fact, read verse 23 again. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Mm -hmm. O wretched man that I am. O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of Who's this gonna death? Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? This is a constant cycle. How do I get out of it? Verse 25. 
I thank God I thank through God. Jesus Christ through Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how we're getting out of it. Yes, so then, with the mind, read. So then, with the mind, I serve, I serve the law of God. The law I myself of God. serve the law of God. But with, but the, with flesh, the flesh, the law of sin. So here's what he tells us. There's got to be a change. Something's got to happen to us because we have this law of sin going on. Something has to happen to give us that jet propulsion to be able to overcome the law of sin that affects everybody. Now, he went on the very next chapter and begins to tell us what is the ultimate end if we don't overcome this law. Romans 8, verses 6 and 7. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. All right, so, so understand what the apostle is telling us. If we try to live by our carnal minds, we're going to fail. We are going to fail. It will end up in death because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is not subject to God's law. In fact, Paul said the carnal mind cannot be subject to God's law. It's not programmed that way. So we've got to have a spiritual mind. Something's got to happen to us. There's got to be a change. And that's why the Apostle Paul gave the commandment we read in our text, Romans 12, verse 2. Read it for me again. And be not conformed be to this world. Be not conformed. Be not conformed. Everyone say, be not conformed. Be not conformed to this world. Now, we'll talk about the rest of the verse in a little while, but be not conformed. I want to talk about that word conformed for a few minutes. This word is, is a compound Greek word. The first part of the word uh, means association, companionship, process, resemblance. The second part of the word means the external condition or fashion. All right? Association, companionship, process, resemblance put together with external condition or fashion. So the resulting combination of these two terms would mean a resemblance to the external fashion. So when Paul said, be not conformed to this world, he said, don't try to resemble the external fashions of this world. Instead, we have to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Right? Now let's, let's finish out the verse. But be ye transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh -huh. that ye may prove what is that good, what is that good and acceptable, acceptable and perfect will of God. Yes. Now, now listen, we, and I'll come back and talk about the word transformed in a few moments. But, but I, do, I do want to, it was verse 1 actually uh, that I was referring to. Let me read that for you again. Verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. Do you understand now why he reaches this point in Romans chapter 12 of telling us that we have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice because every day that we live, we've got this law warring against us. And the law wants us to be constantly associated with or to constantly resemble the conditions and fashions of this whole world. And he said, so every day we just have to present our body to God as a living sacrifice. I'm not giving in to the pressure to conform. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says this. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, 
and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, this is an amazing statement. I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight. But this is, this is a conditional promise. Do you understand the, the, what I mean by that? God makes a promise, but He puts conditions on whether or not the promise will be fulfilled. Now, the promise that He makes um, is, I will receive you. In fact, if you'll get your Bible, I should have included verse 18 as well. If, if, you'll, if you'll look at uh, 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 and 18, and I don't have it in my notes, or I would just read it here, but, but um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Read both of those verses together. Wherefore, come out from among, come them, out from among them, and be ye separate, separate saith, saith the, Lord, the Lord, and touch not touch the not unclean, unclean thing, thing, and I will receive and you. And I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. And I will be you. a father unto you, and you shall be my, sons, shall be and my daughters, sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, look, the, the, the promise is in the end of verse 17 and all of verse 18. The promise is, I'll receive you, I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my children. That's the promise. But the promise is conditional. It's dependent upon the conditions set forth in the beginning of verse 17. And the condition that he set forth was, you have to come out from among the world and be separate from them and don't get involved in what is unclean. And if you'll do that, I'll be your father and you'll be my children. But that's conditional. I don't know how the denominal world gets around verses like this, Brother Self. I cannot figure out for the life of me how they get around things like this. Men that are very studious, they, they know the scriptures, but they want to tell you it doesn't matter how you live, God's grace will just cover for you. How do you explain things like this? It does matter how you live. God only promises to be your father if you'll come out and be separate from the world. Now, I don't, want to, I don't want you to think that Romans 12 and 2, be not conformed to this world, is only a negative command. It's not just telling us what not to do. But the verse goes on to tell us what to do. Alright, read it again, Romans 12 and 2. And be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, so, so he says, don't be conformed. That's the negative. That's what you should not do. But he doesn't leave us without the command of what to do instead. Instead of being conformed to this world, be transformed. Now, in the original Greek, some of you have heard me teach on this before, but for the sake of those who haven't, in the original Greek, the word transformed is the word from which we get our English word metamorphosis. That's the Greek word that's used. Now, do you know what a metamorphosis is? A metamorphosis is that process that takes the aquatic tadpole that's breathing water through its gills and changes it, develops lungs within it and causes it to now live on dry land. And where for the tadpole, he had to remain underwater to live after metamorphosis, if you hold that frog under water, it'll kill him. His entire environment has to change because of metamorphosis. This is the same process that takes a caterpillar 
an ugly, furry worm. And turns it into a beautiful butterfly. It's metamorphosis. Now that caterpillar can be up on a branch of a tree. But if it comes off of the branch, it's falling. Because prior to metamorphosis, it doesn't have the power to overcome the law of gravity. But metamorphosis changes the caterpillar in such a way that he now has something he never had. He's got wings. And those wings allow him to soar above gravity. What took place? A transformation. A metamorphosis. And that's the very word Paul used when he said, don't be conformed. Don't try to resemble the fashion of this world. But go through metamorphosis. Be changed. To be transformed then means to to experience a spiritual metamorphosis. And that requires a total, absolute, complete change. It'll change your environment. It'll change your character. It'll change your appearance. It'll change everything about you. Just like it does for the tadpole and the caterpillar. There's got to be a transformation. This law is constantly trying to drag us down. It's trying to drag us down. It's trying to pull us down to the beggarly elements of this world, the apostle called it. And look, it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you can't travel two directions at the same time. If you're traveling north, you cannot at the same time be going south. If you're headed up, you cannot also be going down. This is simple. I know it's, it's very simple. But here's what we've got to understand. If the law of sin is universal, it's dragging everybody else down. What happens to the Christian? We're trying to go against the tide. They're being drugged down. We're trying to come up. That's going to cause you to be at odds with the world around you. People are not going to understand your life. They're not going to understand what you're doing. They're not going to comprehend what's going on. Don't feel like you're alone because my family doesn't understand. Listen to me. Nobody. Nobody that has never experienced metamorphosis will understand the transformation. They're not going to understand it. And you can talk until you're blue in the face and you're not going to be able to explain it. Because I can guarantee you that the butterfly could never explain well enough to a caterpillar how much different life is now. Nor a frog to a tadpole. They're not going to understand it until they experience it for themselves. So what you've got to do is just to continue to love them and to be the different person God made you to be. They won't understand it. They're going to fight you. Let me tell you, one of the biggest things is they feel convicted by your life. When you try to do what's right, they feel condemned because they're not trying to do what's right. So you want to know how they deal with it? It is normal human behavior. Not to try to emulate you and do right, but rather to try to get you drugged down 
to their level so they don't feel guilty anymore. That's the way it works. And you need to recognize that and understand that and brace yourself for it. Nobody ever said living for God is easy. And look, if you think, and I'm not trying to be ugly here, um, if this comes across too um, mean-spirited, blame it on me not feeling well tonight, all right? I've got a good excuse. But, but if, if you just think this is just too difficult to go through whatever persecution you may have to go through, I would just ask you to consider the saints of old. Brother Goff talked about it Sunday night. Those that were faced with being thrown into the arena with wild beasts. Those who watched their families suffer. And listen, they would do it. They would, they would go into a home and start killing the children one by one. Could you as a parent watch that and not recant your faith? I'll tell you, it'd be tough. And we think because somebody makes fun of us or somebody laughs at us that we've got it difficult. What we're experiencing right now is nothing. In fact, we don't even have to go back to ancient times. I would take you to communist countries today to show you people that are having to meet in secret just to, just to open their Bibles. If they could be in a service like we're in, nobody would have to beg them to worship God. Nobody would have to beg them to lift their voices. We don't have it hard. Not yet. It may get there. But we're not there right now. Not in America. Now that doesn't mean there aren't people who do suffer. There are people right now that live for God that have to take beatings in America. If you've, if you've read Sister Daniel's book, um, she told about being raised in a home where her dad would beat her for going to church. That's in America. She, she had to deal with that as a child and yet lived for God anyway. I'm just, I'm just saying to you tonight, we need to understand that our lifestyle puts us at odds with the world. End of discussion. It's just the way it is. And so you find yourself in a very real spiritual battle. And you've got to prepare for it. But you can't prepare for it through simply being Conformed. Now, there's a whole lot I want to say before I really get into depth on transformed and conformed. And I'm probably, well, no probably about it. I'm not going to get there tonight. We haven't gotten very far on that scripture list, have we? We have not. We've got three pages of scriptures. We haven't gotten very far on that. Get ready for another part two, part three, who knows. There are, there are three principal forces that oppose the Christian. Three things, really. We can boil everything down to one of three things. The world, the devil, and the flesh. If any of these are allowed to go unchecked in our life, we will face certain defeat. Did you hear what I said? If we allow the world, the flesh, or the devil to go unchecked, we will be defeated. 
It's only when we learn to crucify our flesh, to overcome the devil, to separate from the world, that we can hope to have a spiritually victorious life. Because, look, here's the thing. I said if any of them are allowed to go unchecked, but the problem is most of the time they're joining forces. And you know, the wise man said a three-fold cord is not easily broken. And when you've got the world and the devil and the flesh all working for the same end. They become a force to be reckoned with. The flesh is naturally attracted to the world. And the world is controlled by the power of the devil. Can we prove that to you? 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. We will get a few more scriptures done before I quit tonight. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe. Wait a minute, wait a minute. In whom the God of this world. The God of this world. He's not talking about Jesus Christ. Paul called the called Satan the god of this world. His kingdom is a kingdom of darkness, deceit and destruction. His kingdom is based on rebellion against God. And he is the God of this world, meaning he controls this world. And here's our flesh attracted to the very thing the devil's in control of. You think that doesn't create a problem for us? And so let's follow this trail again now. Devil controls the world. The world appeals to the flesh. The flesh is where we make our decisions. So what's the answer to all of this? The answer is to crucify the flesh. James chapter 4 verses 7 to 10. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from oh, you. Oh, listen. I'm going to tell you. Too many times people only quote the last half of that verse. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. You skipped a very important part of that. You can resist the devil all you want to. If you're not submitted to God, you don't have the power to overcome the devil. He will overcome you. Just ask the seven sons of Sceva. For those of you who don't know, seven sons of Sceva were these men that were going around trying to cast demons out of people. In the book of Acts, the Bible says that they... We're saying, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preacheth, we adjure thee to come out. Well, he came out all right. Yeah, he came out fighting. He came out and jumped on them, tore their clothes, and they fled from there naked. Embarrassed and ashamed. That's what happens when you try to resist the devil, but you're not submitted to God. The devil will defeat you, not vice versa. So it begins with submitting to God. Now we're not finished here. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Read. Draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. And then God will draw nigh to you. And listen, the devil's not afraid of you, but he is afraid of God. You know, as a little boy, some bully could come pick on me. And I said, I'm going to tell my daddy on you. He didn't care if I told my dad as long as my dad wasn't with me. Right? But now if dad happened to step around the corner right at that time, that bully's not quite as 
big and tough as he thought he was. And this is the point of the Apostle James. Submit to God. Draw an eye to God. And God's going to come close to you. And if God's close to you, the devil doesn't like that. That's what's going to make the devil flee is when God is close to you. When God is in close proximity to where you are. That's what's going to make the devil run. He's not afraid of you. He's not scared of you. But he is terrified of God. You don't believe that? Go back and read the story in Mark chapter 5. The demoniac of Gadara. Thousands of demons living inside that one man. But when Jesus sets foot on the shore, they're begging him. Don't torment us. If you're going to send us out, please don't make us leave this area. They're begging him. Thousands against one. They're scared. You hear me? So when you submit to God and you draw nigh to God and all of a sudden God is standing behind you, looming over you, and the devil looks up and realizes... He doesn't want to lay a hand on you. Not because he's afraid of you. But he's afraid of who's got your back. Oh, we didn't finish that. So he says, he says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, Cleanse you your sinners. Hands, you sinners. And purify, purify your hearts. Your hearts. You double-minded. You double-minded. You want, you want the devil to flee? There's some things you got to do. can't live in sin and expect God to bail you out. Read. Be afflicted. Be afflicted. And mourn. And mourn. And weep. And weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning uh-huh. and your joy to heaviness. Now really what he's saying here in verse 9 is repent. That's the Riggin Revised Version, but I abbreviated that whole verse to one word. Repent. Be afflicted, mourn, weep. Repent. Get right with God. And then he says in verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Uh And he shall lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And God's going to pick you up. Right there in the sight of the devil. And when the devil sees he's got a He's got to walk into God's hand to try to touch you. He's not taking that chance. He won't do it. Listen, the world has no attraction. This is what we've we've got to do something to this old flesh of ours in order to stop this process. Again, follow, I hope you're getting what I'm saying. The world is controlled by the devil, and our flesh is attracted to the world. So the answer is crucify the flesh so that there's no attraction to the world. And if you crucify the flesh and there's no attraction to the world, the world's not pulling on you, and then the devil can't control you. The crucifying of our carnal nature is the only hope we have of becoming free from the entanglements of sin. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. I'm almost finished. What shall we say then? Musicians come. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that that grace may abound? abound? God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead How shall we? Now listen to this. How shall we? That are what? Dead to sin. Dead to sin. Live any longer therein. I've said this before. I don't care how much of an alcoholic a man is. When he's dead, you can put a whole keg of beer beside the casket. He's not going to take one drink. He's not tempted at all. He's dead. 
There's no allurement to a dead man. And Paul said, that's what's got to happen to us. We've got to become dead to the things of this world. Where they no longer appeal to us. That's called crucifying your flesh. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14, the apostle Paul said this, and I'm going to end with this one. Galatians 6 verse 14 says, And God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me. By whom the world is crucified to me. And I am to the world. And I am crucified to the world. Far as I'm concerned, the world is dead. It has no appeal. And you know what? As far as the world's concerned, I'm dead too. They don't care. This is the answer, church. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm only maybe halfway through. Uh, no, maybe a fourth of the way through. <laughs> uh, somewhere in there, about a fourth of the way through this lesson, but... I'll get back to transformed. I'll talk about what all that means in, in a future part of this lesson. But right now, it's important for us to understand that this process of not being conformed, this process has to start with us dying out to the things of this world. We have to crucify our flesh. Um, get for me. Get for me Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, if you would, Brother Goff. This is not in the notes. I said I was going to end with this. I am ending as far as my notes are concerned. Galatians 2, verse 20. I could quote it for you, but, but th this is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. I love this verse of Scripture. It's one that everybody should memorize and, and try to make it more than just something you know in your head, but something you live by. He says... For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, Nevertheless I, live. I live. Yet, I, yet, yet not, I, not I, but Christ, but liveth, Christ in me. liveth in me. And the life, and the life which I now, live I now live in the flesh, in the flesh. I, I live by the, by faith, the faith of the Son of God, Son of God who, who loved me and, and gave, gave himself, himself for me. I'm crucified to the flesh. And yet in the midst of this crucifixion, I'm alive. But I want you to know this. It's not the old man that's alive. The life I now live, I'm living by my faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. So I give myself to him. He was crucified for me. So I crucify myself 